You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Tina Avey. So this journey through 2 Samuel has, I don't know about you guys, but um, it's been interesting, a little bit of a struggle. Um, I, I, said, I made the comment last week, I'm like, I don't think I would be friends with King David. Like, I don't think he's a very good guy. Um, but here's um, what I feel like the Lord does through his word. He reveals the full picture that we not deify humans. King David, yes, he's king. And, and, and David will maintain his throne, and, and Jesus is through his family line, but it is not because of who David was. It is not because of David's faithfulness. It's because of God's faithfulness. See, God made a covenant with David. He made a promise to David. So David can do whatever he wants. God does not break a promise. So the Lord is using his broken servant to do his will and ultimately to bring in the Messiah that would save us all. Isn't that good? I loved that um, because I was struggling with like, well, but when we talk about David, we talk about like, you know, slaying the giant and, and dancing before the Lord. And surely I want to be just like that. I want to slay giants and I want to dance before the Lord. But the truth of the matter is you and I are probably more like David in his low moments than in the high ones. See, we're human. And so it's, we have to be careful as we read through the Bible to understand we're not the heroes in the word. God is. It's his faithfulness. He's the one that does the things. And of course, he, he changes us. He makes us new. He sanctifies us. He molds us. We try to be more like Jesus. But until he comes and we're on the other side of glory, we are in this vessel. Right? Amen? And so we are going to make mistakes. But if we have a heart like David... When that happens, we know right where to go, and we go straight to the throne of God, for his mercy meets us there. Amen? Amen. So we have to take the comparisons to heart when we hear that, and it's like, I don't want to hear, like, how awful I am. But friends, that's the kindness of God. It is more kind that God would say, read my word. Do you see how fallen you are and why you need me? That is more kind and more loving than someone that says, you're fine just the way you are. That is more kind and more loving. And so when we receive his word or when we hear something that hits us like, ouch, that one hurt a little bit, that is his goodness to us. Because there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. He doesn't condemn us. He corrects us lovingly. Anyone ever, you know that voice from the Holy Spirit? He's gentle in his correction. He does not bring condemnation. So if you're hearing condemnation and you're hearing um, just self-hatred and loathing, that is not the voice of the Lord correcting you. That voice comes from somewhere else. Okay, with all of that, uh, we're going to get into 2 Samuel chapter 15. If you want to open up your Bible, we're going to start in verse 1. Um, And as you do that, when we read through these scriptures... Um, I'm very aware that while we're here, glory to God we are, glory to God we have the freedoms we do, that there, is, there are wars being battled. 
And there are people who have seen atrocities that we can't imagine. We had, there are people who, I was reflecting on the baptism we had earlier, um, where families are being tortured and murdered. And um, what I'm very aware of is this isn't a battle over territory. This is against Yahweh himself. So would you join me? I want to pray again, and I want to lift up those who are in harm's way, those who have been kidnapped, those who need to be set free, those who are grieving the loss of those. And I also want to come against the liar. For where Yahweh's truth is present, there will always be lies. And we're going to dig into that more as we get into this word, but I just want to pray um, really quick. Father, I lift up Israel to you. I lift up those who were going about their day to be captured and to see atrocities and deal with things, Father, that we can't imagine, that we haven't had to see where we live, and, and we are grateful you've placed us here. But at the same time, Father, our hearts are with them right now, and we pray for anyone who is suffering torture, for people who are grieving, Lord, that you would rescue. Just go in and rescue. Father, this is your battle. We release it to you, but we mourn with those who mourn. In Jesus' name. Okay, uh, with that, let's get into chapter 14. Uh, chapter 14? That's a new one. We're going to chapter 13 today. Um, okay, it's fine. It's fine. We'll recover. We'll recover. Uh, chapter 15, please, <laughs> verse 1. After this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. So whenever you see after this, you have to ask the question, well, after what? Like, what just happened? Now, Pastor Derek did a great job of summarizing chapter 14 a little bit last week, so I'm going to summarize his summarizing um, and just give you a super snapshot of kind of where we are. Um, so we're talking about Absalom. Um, and we're talking about King David. Okay, here we go. This is like the Cliff Notes version. There was a man, his name was David, and he had this many sons. No, anyway, that was a old school reference to Brady Bunch, which you may not know, by the way, since you're just in your 30s. Seriously, never, never listen to Elvis. Are you kidding me right now? Um, it's fine. Okay, so Absalom is the third son of David. Um, he had his first son, Amnon, the oldest. It was a bad seed. Uh, things went awry. So Amnon and Absalom have two different mothers. Okay, so Amnon, Absalom also has a sister named Tamar. This is really complicated. Okay, this is like a Jerry Springer episode. So <laughs> Absalom has a sister named Tamar. They have a mother whose name is Makkah. Amnon had a different mother. King David is both of the dad of all of the, he's the baby daddy of all the things. So <laughs> what happened was Amnon was very attracted to Tamar, Absalom's sister, his half-sister. Um, and then things went really awry. He ends up attacking her and raping her. King David the father, even though this is his daughter, does nothing. 
Nothing. No justice and no comfort. He does nothing. So Absalom decides to take justice into his own hands. He kills Amnon, his older brother, realizes he's in trouble. He takes a hike to Gesher, where his grandfather lives, where his mother's from. His, his grandfather is the king of Gesher. He goes there for a while. Um, and then he comes back at the end of chapter 14. He gets an audience with the king after setting a field on fire. You just have to read it. It's crazy. So he's at the, he ends up before the king, King David, and King David kisses him as kind of like a, a restoration. After the kiss, the conspiracy begins. David will be betrayed by the son that he just kissed to bring restoration. There was another kiss that brought betrayal. In the garden, Judas approached our Savior Jesus and gave a kiss, because what did he tell the soldiers? He said, the one I kiss is the one that you need to arrest. That's the Jesus. The betrayal of a kiss we see threaded throughout. And this is a good time just to, in case you weren't aware, I know we do this in kids' church all the time, teaching the kids the Bible is not two different stories. When you read the Old Testament, you're going to see Jesus in it. This is one story, and the thread is Jesus. Whether you're reading about David, whether you're reading about Noah, Adam and Eve, the whole thing is one story, and Jesus is the theme. So Absalom gets himself a chariot and horses. A king of Israel was not supposed to use horses. A king of Israel was required to come in on a donkey. But see, Absalom, when he goes to Gesher, he's spending time with his grandfather, who's king, who teaches him how kings are really supposed to come in. Kings come in as royalty on horses. To come in on a donkey would be foolish. So Absalom takes the advice of his grandfather, and this is how he tries to present himself. His whole goal is to overthrow his father as king. So we need to spend some time talking about his grandfather for a minute. His name was Tamal. Uh, sorry, Talmai. I apologize. And he had a daughter named Maka, or Makah. I'm not sure. I saw both. Uh, but she is what was called an Eshet Yofat Tuar. That means she was basically a prize of war. So what would happen is when an Israelite soldier saw an attractive woman that was part of the enemy's camp, he could take her as a wife, and this is what it was called. Don't make me say it twice because it was hard to say it the first time. And Eshet, yes. Um, but when that happened, it was not actually desired that that would happen. So when that did happen, there were rules put in place, and we read them in Deuteronomy 21. This woman then had to shave her head. She had to get rid of her manicure, cut her nails down, and she had to shed the clothing she was wearing, put on cloning of mourning, and mourn her family for a month with a shaven head. And so everything that made her attractive, she had to change. And the goal of this was to make her undesirable because this wasn't a recommended practice that a soldier would marry someone from the enemy's camp. So the idea was after this, she would become undesirable to the soldier. But then this would produce a rebellious 
son. And the word for rebellious son was ben soer umora, which means rebellious son. So this whole thing that David did was he took Talmai's daughter as a wife, as a prize of war, had a child with her who inevitably would be a rebellious son. And in that process, she also had to be, do these things and would have become undesirable to him. So you can see the setup for Absalom. He's been set up for all of the offenses and the things you're going to see. So if you imagine Absalom, he probably hated David from a young age. If he spent any time with his grandfather, he would have heard these stories again and again, and he would have, as the king of Geshur and as the father of Makkah, can you imagine the conversations that he would have had concerning David? So he would have had those conversations. He learned what happened to his mother. He saw what happened to his sister. His father gave no justice, and he gave no compassion. There is nothing in the word that tells us that David went to Tamar, his daughter, who was raped, to care for her. Instead, Absalom took her in. He's the one that cared for her. Then, when he takes justice upon himself, David decides justice matters, and then he goes after Absalom, so Absalom basically exiles himself into Geshur to where he stays with his grandfather. So we have all of that. You can imagine what grandfather was saying to Absalom, that David, right? But let's keep in mind, too, he's the king of Geshur that was defeated, so there's also a kingdom at stake. If my grandson becomes king of Israel, all of a sudden, I can gain some power. It's very complicated, very um, intricate, intricate the, the details of the scandal. But then on top of that, we have Absalom growing up in a home with two different worldviews. So he has his mother's side of the family, do not follow Yahweh, the king of Geshur. But then you have David, who does follow Yahweh. But then look at Absalom's, we talk about life experience, right? Let's look at his life experience for a minute. The pagan household showed comfort, gave comfort to him. The pagan household grandfather would have said, oh, I, I know how mad you are at David. I don't blame you. Can you believe what he did to your mother and to your sister? He, all those feelings he had were being validated by grandfather. Grandfather also, we know because of the horses and that he brought him in, grandfather would have said, come here, Absalom, let me teach you how kings really do this. So he, gave him, he would have given him comfort. He would have validated his feelings. He brought him in, and then he coached him. So let's look at what the follower of Yahweh did, his biological father. He was neglectful. Amnon was probably the favorite, the next in line to be king, even though he was a rapist. His father did nothing to bring justice to that situation, even though it happened against his own daughter. He was a womanizer. He had many, many wives, and women were clearly a problem in David's life. He was a murderer. He had Uriah murdered so that he could have Bathsheba for himself. 
He was a passive father, if not completely absent. He provided no guidance or justice or compassion to his family. He was unloving and he did not lead his family spiritually. So if you're Absalom, you've got all of these wounds, these horrible things have happened. You have the pagan family who's bringing you in. Let us care for you. I've got you. You're every right to be mad. Da, 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 da. So he's getting all of this from them. And the follower of Yahweh is derelict in duty, not leading him through this at all. And there is a big call to us as Christians, as followers of Jesus. How do we care for our family? How do we love our family? How do we attend to the hard things that happen in family? Do we just, I'm not, we're not going to talk about that. Because that's what David did. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. That's what David did. That does not work out. As followers of Jesus, how present are we when our kids are hurting? When our teenager is, is it's hidden in that room and we don't understand why, do we pursue them? Do we, do we work with them? Do we make ourselves present? Or do we like, oh. When we're hurt, there is a window, a doorway that the enemy can come in. And he's slick. Because the enemy is not one to say, oh, she's hurting so bad. Let's just give her a break. Like, let's put our attention over here instead. He doesn't do that. He's like, she's down. Go after her. Get her. Go. Destroy, destroy, kill, steal, destroy everything. Is she down? She's not down far enough. Go get her. Go after her. That's the tactic of the enemy. But here's the thing. He doesn't come showing up wearing red with a pitchfork. No, he comes in as a friend. He comes in knowing what to say and how to say it. Take a look at this movie clip. How about something hot to drink? Yes, please. Your Majesty. Your drink, sire. How did you do that? I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> Anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight? I would very much like to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. 
But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even King. Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, uh, do you mean Peter would be king too? No, no, no. But a king needs servants. I guess I could bring. Hmm. This is the playbook of the enemy. This is what he does. I'm sorry, teenager. You're not sure if you should be a boy or a girl? That must be really confusing. I understand. I wouldn't put you in a box like that. You could be anything that you want. Here, come with me. I'll show you. I'm sorry you've been put in this position and you went through everything that you did and that he doesn't love you back. It's just a fetus. This whole problem can go away. It's okay. I understand. Don't let those Christians judge you. This is how he works. These are the voices that our children and our teenagers are hearing. Don't let the church judge you. We'll be your friend. We'll be your family. Just so you know, this tactic is the exact same tactic that gangs and sex traffickers use. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I don't know why anyone wouldn't think you're beautiful. You're gorgeous. Oh, I have a future for you. Do you know you could be a model? Come with me. Here, I'll show you. I know your family probably just doesn't recognize all your potential. Gangs do the same thing. Yeah, I know, your dad left. My dad did too. Dads are stupid. Come with us, we'll be your new family. That's exactly how this all works. The deceiving and the lying hits you when you're hurt, but because it, it provides this. Did you notice when he drank the hot chocolate and, and the guy threw it against the tree? It just dissolved into snow because it's fake. There's, no re there's nothing real, it's fake comfort. It's temporary, and it disappears in a minute, and next thing you know, they're in trouble. If you haven't seen that movie, that's from Chronicles of Narnia, Edmund was very jealous of his older brother Peter, who was destined to be a king. And so he felt like everyone loved Peter, no one loved him. Did you see her eyes when he said, they're nothing special? Her eyes lit up, like, there it is, that's where I'm going. We have to be careful about the voices that agree with our emotions. Because that's what the enemy uses. Our emotions are real, valid, I get it. Stuff happens and emotions are, I get it. Those, those are valid, but you have to be careful of the voice that says, I'm the one that cares about your emotions. I'm the one that really understands you. Because anyone who is of worth in counsel would be giving, leading you to Jesus. Let me pray with you. Let's talk about God's word and what he believes for you. So verse 2. <clears throat> that was just verse 1. We're fine. We got, we're good. Verse 2. 
Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate. When any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, From what city are you? And when he said, Your servant is of such and such tribe in Israel, Absalom would say, See, your claims are good and right. Oh, but there's no one here designated to help you. Hmm. He questions the heart of the king. Now, the truth is, those people were coming, so there's good reason to believe they thought they could get an audience with the king, but Absalom inter interceded. He got to them first and said, I'm so sorry the king is letting you down. He's not here for you, is he? But he falls short of calling him out specifically. And then in verse 4, listen to what he says. Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause could come to me, and I would make sure they had justice. This is, this is the playbook of the agenda of the enemy. He infers that the king doesn't care about justice. Otherwise, he would have appointed me. He infers, I am the only one that cares. And so in verse 5, whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He wins people over by telling them what they want to hear. Yeah, if only that were happening and I could give you a story to relate to it. <laughs> That's happening everywhere. That is our culture. That is exactly what's going on. And he's like, but I, he's like the people's candidate. I'm the blue collar guy. I get you. I understand. We have leaders right now in our country. I think they've been born in like five different places. Well, I grew up here and I grew up there and I was born there. Like, really. They try to be like, like the people, but it's not real. They, he simply, Absalom wants to use these people to get, get headway in his quest to overthrow the king. In verse 7, and at the end of four years, Absalom says to the king, would you please let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed to the Lord in Hebron? For your servant vowed a vow while I lived at Geshur in Aram, saying, if the Lord would bring me back to Jerusalem, then I would offer worship to the Lord. And the king said to him, Go, 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 yeah, go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. So you're David. You worship Yahweh. This son, you've been through all this drama and this heartache and these horrible things. This is the son that says, hey, I want to go to our home. I want to go to church at home. So David's, of course, of course you can go to church at home. Absolutely. Hebron is where Absalom was born. It's where David was first crowned king. This is like, like a, a special place in David's heart. But there's no reason to think that Absalom actually made a vow. Absalom has learned from the best. Where his grandfather was that voice into him, he now knows how to do that voice, how to be that voice amongst the people and even amongst David. And so this is where... There's a cautionary tale for us as parents. Because sometimes we get excited if our child has, like, there's a religious experience, right? Like, he's going to go. He wants to go. He wants to go to church. Let him go to church, right? Back in the day, this is back in the day, you know, 
our teenagers are perfect here at Life Church, but back in the day, you know, teenagers went to church and it wasn't always about church, right? We have to be careful because sometimes our kids coming to church, just like I would say to you, you can come to church every week, every Sunday, faithfully. It will not make you a follower of Jesus. It can't. It won't. The same thing is true of your children and your teenagers. You can bring them to church. You can put them in that seat. You can put those fancy shoes on. It will not make them a follower of Jesus any more than if you put their bedroom in the garage would they turn into a Mercedes. It's not going to happen. What needs to happen is they need to see walked out an authentic walk with Jesus from those who lead the home. They need to see us with our Bibles open. They need to see us in prayer. They need to see us when when an emergency comes up or something. Come here, come here, come here. Let me pray with you. Look, I know you're downcast. I know you don't want to talk to me right now. It's okay. I'm going to pray for you anyway. It's leading an authentic. If you're authentically walking with Jesus, praise the Lord. Do it in front of them. Let them see that it's real, and it's not just something we do. So Absalom, one more word on that, <clears throat> because it's, it's not fair to put all of that on parents. Parents, God bless y'all who get your kids to church and who do your, everything you can to lead your kids. If you're in here and you are a dependent, you're a child, you're a teenager, but you're in this room, you're not in the nursery, there comes a point where your faith is your own, and it's very dangerous for you to just go through motions. It is more dangerous to go through motions than it is to just not go, because you've learned how to pretend, and you don't want to be in that seat. So if you're here sitting because this is what your family does, I encourage you, you've got to grab a hold of your faith yourself. You've got to make it yours. You need to ask questions. You need to find out truth. You need to get in his word and yourself because there comes a point where it's not on mom and dad. They've done their part and they've brought you and they've done the things. There comes a part where it's on you. Amen? All right. Verse 10. Absalom sent secret messengers throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then say, Absalom is king at Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men from Jerusalem who were invited guests, and they went in their innocence, and they knew nothing. The conspiracy is set. Overthrow is imminent. The trumpet and declaration were going to spread fake news. Dun-dun-dun. How many are going to fall prey to the first thing they heard? Absalom is king. What, no one's going to seek that out? Okay. Like, that's just what we're doing? How many of them sought out the real truth? None of them. They just followed. Lies travel fast. See, Absalom invited the men. He knew he wasn't going to convince them to follow him. Like, like to actually rebel. But if he could get them to go with him, it would present to everyone else, see all these these guys are with me. They don't have any clue what's going on. They're just there. 
but it presents that they are on his side. This is all a giant deception. You, the things that you hear, don't you understand? The voice is not as big as it seems. The lies, the liar, just because it's what's on TV does not mean it's the biggest voice in the room. We have a majority of one. God is still king. God is still over it all. So we have to be careful about the voices that we hear. So there's a, there's a, um, a call to the church in this. So these men went along, and it says they didn't say anything. They didn't know. They didn't say anything. We as the church cannot afford to be silent. Lies are spread as truth. The silence of the church is perceived as agreement. And that's why we are where we are. The church started getting real quiet because we don't want to talk about certain things. We don't talk about government. We don't want to talk about things of nation, things of state. So the church shut up, let them take prayer out of the schools, and it's been downhill ever since. The church has to start finding its voice. It's the only hope that we have. We have to speak boldly of God's truth, and we have to oppose Marxist ideologies that are dividing people, marriages, and families. I'm going to tell you something. I'm sorry if this isn't popular, but I'm going to say it. The LGBTQ agenda has done nothing but cause pain, strife, and division among families. It has convinced children that they need to mutilate themselves, that they are not who they actually were. There's a spirit of confusion amongst our youth today. That is not of God. But when the church is quiet, because we don't want to offend, we don't want to say the wrong thing, no one's giving them another, another voice to hear. And that voice is saying, don't you see? I understand. I love you. We have been caught derelict in our duty. This agenda propagates pedophilia, arguing that somehow we are unfair and self-righteous to suggest that children should not have access to pornography. And we've said, okay, what are we doing? That's not okay. In case you didn't know, like, like they shouldn't see those things. We have been quiet for fear of offending about talking about the idea that killing babies is okay. It's health care. The church cannot be quiet. We have laid it down too long. We have got to find our voice Deuteronomy 30, 19 through 20 says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days that you may dwell in the land the Lord swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. It is before us to choose life or death, and he says, choose life. But we have to help them choose life. They haven't arrived yet. I mean, granted, neither have I. Like, I got some work to do. But our mind, that is our job, right? Raise children in the ways of the Lord so that when they are grown, they will not turn from it. Right? This is our job. We can't be quiet. Then it says, the trumpet and the declaration that was given would appear real to the people. 
They're going to hear this. It's going to look official. It's why he brought all those men. Trumpet, Absalom is king. It's going to look really official. He's got spies set all over the place. Did you hear? Did you hear Absalom is king now? Did you hear Absalom is king? Matthew 24, Jesus says this is going to happen concerning him. Matthew 24, 4 through 5, seek that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Y'all, we have to be Bereans and get in our word because there are Christian teachers who are leading the flock astray by false teaching because we have set this down to look at phones. And people are being deceived left and right who are saying, don't you see, Jesus would be fine with this. Jesus would be fine with that. We're being led astray because we're not in our word. We're not seeking out what's really true. 1 John 4, 1 through 4, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard was coming and is now in the world already. That's in 1 John. The spirit of Antichrist was already in the world. He's only gained ground. We have to know the heart of our king. Absalom spread bad and false reports about the king. Listen to this. Absalom manipulated himself to look like a better king. You got church hurt? Get in line. But what the enemy has done is he said, you've been hurt? Yeah. Yeah, I get it. It's because those Bible teachers, yeah, they may get up and they may teach from the Bible, but they don't love you. Do you see how he manipulates and uses our pain to deceive us and pull us away from the word of God and from his truth? We cannot fall prey to this. Verse 12, while Absalom was offering the sacrifices, he sent for Ahithophel the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. So in this story, Ahithophel, Bathsheba's grandfather, we have another grandpa in the mix. So we have Makah's father, Absalom's grandfather. Now we have Bathsheba's grandfather. We got two grandpas who are not fond of the king. And I have to tell you, like, all of this is heartbreaking and awful. But, y'all, I'm a grandma. And I think of the influence, like, like, I don't know, I, maybe I'm just speaking for myself. This is off the rails. You can relate or you can tune me out for two seconds. I don't care. But here's the thing. When my kids graduated from high school, I mourned. I grieved. Like, oh, it's over? Like, 18 years and then it's just done? Like, what kind of joke was that? But here's the thing. Then I got a grandson. I've got another one coming in three and a half weeks. The legacy don't you see grandparents? The legacy is us. Because who are they going to call when they're upset with mom and dad? Speed dial. Right? And so what is our counsel to our grandchildren? Where are we leading our legacy? Our legacy is starting right now. It doesn't start after we're dead. It starts now. 
Do you pray over your grandkids? Do you bring that anointing oil when those grandbabies are sick and pray over them? Like, we have to live this out authentically as grandmas and grandpas. Our influence doesn't stop because they're not our kids. It's our children. What do we say? Our children and our children's children. We sing that. This is it. This is how we do it. And these grandfathers have great influence, and they are both very hated, hateful toward King David. Ahithophel also, he's seen the dark side of the king, Bathsheba. I mean, that whole story. I mean, you imagine, you have to take the names out of it almost. Like, everyone knows David and Bathsheba, David and Bathsheba, blah, blah, blah. But here's the thing. For a minute, that's your granddaughter. The king did what? Are you kidding me? To my granddaughter? Look, I know mama bear's a real thing, but you haven't seen nothing until you've seen a grandma bear. <laughs> like, we, like, this is real. That's, he did what to my granddaughter? Are you kidding me? There's a lot for us in all of this, and, and I wish we had more time, because I just, I mean, there's just so much to talk about. This is rich. So I encourage you, you've got to, like, open this up and, and pull up some commentaries. And, and if you need, uh, need one to read, I'll, I'll send you a link. Like, but you've got to dig into the word because there's more than what's at surface value. When we read surface value, we hear, oh, David killed a Goliath and, a Goliath and he danced before the Lord and he was a great king. The end. That's not the end. This is complicated. This is humanity. This is, this is where Jesus comes in. So there's a lot for us to consider. There's family matters in this word. Being unequally yoked, like David and Absalom's mother, that's a really big deal. And so for those of you in here who are single or teenagers or children, let me tell you something. You do not go into a relationship thinking that you're going to bring them to church and save them. That is not how this works. Because scripture says that kind of a marriage will bring out rebelliousness in children and they're going to be lost. You have to be a house that is united in faith, of like faith. If you parent out of two different worldviews, you think parenting with the same worldview is easy or hard? Like imagine parenting out of two different worldviews altogether. I can't, I can't even. Fathers and mothers, grandmas and grandpas, we have to lead our family spiritually. We have to walk out this authentic, repentant, obedient walk with Jesus so our kids can see that the Lord is good. And it starts today. Then there's matters of state. There's family matters. There's kingly matters. We have to be cautious about what we hear and seek out the truth. I'm sorry, but if we're turning on the TV and whatever they say is what's really happening we're missing it. If you think you're getting the truth from, from, from news, you're not. You have to seek out sources. You have to pray. You have to be in your word. You have to look at things with a biblical worldview and ask, Lord, what is true and what is false? What do I believe and what do I not believe? What do I see in front of me in my community and with my family? That's where the truth is. Deception grows deep, and it's setting the stage for the Antichrist. Then there's spiritual matters. Absalom has many reasons to wrestle with how he feels about David. I don't think we can hear this story and say, well, Absalom was ridiculous. Of course, he just should have done the right thing. Like, you can totally understand why Absalom is struggling the way that he is, right? But here's the thing. He had a lack of belief. He had no connection to Yahweh. 
or his ways, and his heart was led astray by deceiving voices, and he was taken to dark places. And so here's what's for us. If you've been wounded, which I'm guessing you have because you're alive, we've all been wounded. If you've been wounded, we must, when we receive a wound, choose forgiveness. And I promise you, more often than not, you're not going to feel like it because you're going to feel justified in how you feel. But forgiveness is a choice. You choose to forgive, and then you release that person to God. I'm not in charge of justice. You're welcome. I'm not in charge of justice. I choose to forgive. I'm not in charge of whether or not that person sees consequences for their behavior or gets what they have coming to them or that the, like the Lord's aware. It's not like I say, hey, Lord, did you see what they did? Like, can you take care of that? Like, he's on it. Instead, I release them to him and say, God, you made them. You created them. You know their heart. I'll give them to you to figure out. But I choose to forgive them because I value peace. And I know the Lord, the judge of the earth, will do what is right. Amen? And then we have to quit picking at scabs. When we're wounded, we don't have to keep picking and picking and picking at scabs. And that's what Absalom had happened. His wounds did not have a chance to scar or to heal because Grandpa was helping him pick and pick and pick. Don't you remember? He named his daughter Tamar. Every morning, there's a reminder. Remember what he did? Remember what Amnon did? Remember how your dad did nothing about it? Remember, 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 remember? And he's picking and picking and picking, and that offense gets bigger and bigger. Once we choose to forgive, we release it to God, we have to let it go, let the Lord help us with our emotions so that it can scar over, so it can heal. Because nine times out of ten, where there's a scar the pain isn't as, as hard. But if we keep picking at it, that will never happen. Scars are a sign of our healing. They're a sign of victory that something has happened, and now it's fixed. Does that make sense? When I say fixed, like, I know it's complicated. Like, I know it's not like, oh, okay, well, that's done. <laughs> like, I know it's complicated, but this is, our, this is our work. This is working out our faith, working out our salvation. We release to God. I took it back for a second. Release it to God. I took it back for a second. I got to quit taking it back. Just leave it to God and let him take care of the problem. Pastor Nathan did an amazing job. As we look at the scriptures and we look to Jesus, I'm getting ready to wrap up. We look at the comparison between Absalom who wanted to be king and Jesus who was king. Absalom was offended by his father and let the wound become infested. Jesus bore injustice, he forgave it, and endured even his father forsaking him on the cross. And he still obeyed his father for his will. Absalom pretended to be a good judge. Jesus is a good judge. Absalom stole the hearts of the people from his father. Jesus restores the hearts of people to the father. Absalom sends out fake news about his kingship. Jesus sends the good news that he is the king of all kings. Absalom wanted to do his own will. Jesus only did the will of the father. It's God's faithfulness, not man's. And when we look to men and women of the Bible, 
where we say, oh, I wish I was more like this person. Oh, I wish. I'm just saying, I have a list of who I want to have coffee with in heaven, right? Like, I need to have coffee with this person, this person, this person. But we have to make sure we're not looking to worldly sources. Our sources have to be grounded in a biblical worldview. If I could have the worship team come up, please. We need to remember that God alone is the faithful one. It's his promises that endure. His promises kept David on the throne. But David knew where to go when he messed up. Do we repent? Do we know where to go? Do we trust him when we've done awful things? I'm sorry. I want to read this, Psalm 146, 3 through 5. Just a final reminder that David isn't the hero. God is the hero. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth, and on that very day his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.